0: Welcome to another episode of Brough Finance. That's getting more and more gross every time I say it. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of Bra Finance. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the process of buying a house. Now, this one is if you're a first home buyer you've never been through the process or maybe you've even bought a house before and you're kind of just trying to refresh i mean these are the things that i've been trying to find this information online and it's one of those until you go through it you never truly know the process and from from experience to experience the process changes a little bit but just knowing the main items that you're in for when buying a house i think are going to be super valuable so um let's start with uh, the disclaimer as always so we're not professional finance advisors. This is just our experiences and things we've been through. And we really just want to share what we've been through. And hopefully it arms you with the information you need to make your financial decisions. But please seek a professional for guidance. So let's get into the episode. So we're going to break this Episode up into, I guess, multiple episodes, just depending on how much detail or if I start ranting on or something like that. But I don't want to make it too long. And I've kind of broken it up into multiple steps. And the idea is I just want to go through the experience I had with buying a house. And maybe I'll do an episode with the boys as well, because they've each bought houses. CJ's bought two houses and they can kind of tell you the differences. But as long as you know the general idea and the things that happen, Uh, And we can give you some tips on things that work well for us or things that we should have done that we didn't. You know, it's a learning experience. Hopefully it makes your buying a house a really great experience. And for me, when I bought a house, it was a fantastic experience. And I'll explain why as we go along. All right. So let's start with kind of the first section. So the first one is really, let's say, I'm just moving my keyboard. Hopefully I didn't make too much noise. Um, So the first part of you know, deciding to, well, apart from deciding to buy a house is just understanding what your current financial position is. Okay. And you don't have to really worry about, well, do we have enough savings or, you know, are we spending too much? You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And the reason is this, no matter your financial position, It's a good idea to get a broker to assess it anyway, because you can speculate as much as you want of like, oh, I don't think the bank's going to give us a loan, or maybe they will, or maybe they won't, or what about my car? You can speculate as much as you want and stress yourself out, but you never truly know. So what you're better off doing is just getting a professional to have a look. You know, Don't put yourself through that stress. Now, I personally love, love, I do it for a living, like I love it right? I love doing spreadsheets. I love tracking expenses. I love doing forecasting and modeling and all that kind of stuff to understand my financial position. But it's, I do it more because I just really enjoy it. But most people don't enjoy, it. <laughs> surprisingly, I don't know why, but most people don't enjoy this part. So I guess I'm going to try and talk to as many of you as I can, which is by having the right people in your team, you don't have to do a lot of the heavy lifting number stuff. So let me show you what I mean. So start with going, well, how much money do I make? And you could literally do this on a piece of paper. You don't have to get fancy. On a piece of paper, write how much you make every month. Okay, You can do it right now if you really want to. How much you make a month. And then for your expenses, figure out, okay, what are the top things we pay for? And I'm going to tell you, let me actually find my spreadsheet of the things that I track. Uh, let me see if I can find. I got two now. I've got too many spreadsheets. Okay, here we go. So things like how much do you pay for rent at the moment? Okay, every month or every week, whatever it might be. Like maybe dog food, health insurance, groceries. Um, how much you pay for lunch? And it doesn't need to be exact figures. Just put the closest figure you can think of and how often you pay it. So it's daily, weekly, monthly. That's all you need. You don't actually need to extrapolate and calculate the whole thing because what brokers will do, and I'll explain what those guys are, um, they will put this into their programs to do the full assessment for you. So you don't have to calculate yourself. So don't freak out the, oh, you know, buying a house, sort of scared. I'm not good with number. It's fine. You don't need to be that good with numbers at all. That's why you have brokers. That's why you have conveyance. That's why you have these professionals working for you. You know, so you don't have to do all that stuff. But what you do need to understand is just a rudimentary, very basic understanding of the process. That's more important. Okay, so lunch. Um I even have a fishing call-up because I go fishing. So costs for fishing, your phone, uh gas bill, electricity, um, your internet, gym, um, Netflix. I even have car wash here you know, and then I have like miscellaneous stuff. And basically you're just putting in your best guess. So let's say you do your best guess and then you sum the whole thing and it ends up being like $2,000, for example, just for example, you know, our previous episode, we were talking about margin of safety. This is one of those times where you can put that in. You go, well, $2,000, let's add another thousand on top. Let's go 3000, for example, right? Because some months we spend more. So you put that in there just in case your assess- your self-assessment is a little off, right? So you just add that little buffer in there. Okay, so let's say you have that, you have your bills, your expenses, you know what's coming in, what's going out, all that stuff, fantastic. Now it's time to go see a broker. So why do you see a broker and not start looking at houses? Well, actually, you don't need to see a broker, okay? You don't need to see anyone for guidance. You could literally go to a house inspection and say, I wanna buy this house. But the problem you're going to have with that is especially if you're not good with numbers and you don't do all that pre-research, you're going to get very confused and it's going to very get very overwhelming because they're going to start saying all these big words and all these contracts and it's a lot of contracts to sign. And if you're not good with that, you don't enjoy that stuff, it can get very overwhelming. So get a broker. So let's talk about what a broker is. So this is kind of step two. A broker is someone and they're free. So if one charges you, well then I don't think I don't think they're super legitimate, but I don't know. Um, the one I had um, absolutely fantastic, so much that I don't really see myself buying houses with anybody else. Um, and if he's listening, like I've already recommended him to multiple people, he's done such a fantastic job. Him and his entire team um, of just for for us and buying a house that it was such an enjoyable experience. It was not stressful at all. So basically. What a broker does is they help you buy the house. They broker the deal for you, okay? So all the things when it comes to um, applying for the loan for the bank, they do that. They do all that stuff, right? Doing all the assessments, understanding which loan is right for you, understanding which houses you can afford. They can do all of that stuff. They're nerds like me. They love doing the numbers. So don't take that away from them. (laughs) Let them do it. So when you go and meet with a broker, and what I recommend is actually speaking to multiple brokers. Because not all they're not all the same. Some of them are douchebags. Some of them are awesome. Some of them are terrible. So cold calling one, I probably would not do. What I did instead was I spoke to as many people as I could and say, hey, I want to buy a house. Hey, do you know a good broker? Hey, I want to buy a house. Do you know a good broker? And if someone goes, hey, I know one. I used him or her, and it was great. That's much that's a much better sign because you're almost interviewing for a girlfriend. I know that sounds funny, but you're into you're trusting this person to make financial decisions on probably the biggest expense of your life. So you don't want to just get anyone. You want to find someone not only you really like, you get along with, they have your interests in mind, um, all those things, you want to have that as a broker because you want to be able to trust someone in the process. If you don't have that and you feel like your broker's against you, it's going to be a very stressful situation. And I have people that I've met who said my broker was terrible. I couldn't get in contact with them. They didn't walk me through the process. It was complicated. As soon as that stuff happens, we're only up to step number two. There's like, how many steps have I got here? (laughs) 17 steps. If you're already struggling at step two because you have a terrible broker, well, the rest of the steps are going to be a horrible experience. So for this part, really take your time. And find one that you like. The other thing I did is sometimes they'll be nice and they're all good, but I actually personally tried to test them. Things like I would I would get some stats online of like you know interest rates or I don't know whatever I can find because I like reading that stuff. And I would test them. I'm like, hey, listen, you know, for a situation like this, what's the best advice? What's the best approach? So I would test on things on I really understand, and depending on their response, I'd have an idea of like, okay, this person really knows what they're talking about. Because just because they're a broker doesn't mean they're good. They're just like anyone else. And the other thing I asked is, I think it may have been the first question I had for our broker, was like, how do you actually make your money on this deal? It's very important. Because if they make their money just based on whatever the most, like let's say they make commission or something like that, then their agenda is a bit skewed. right? So with our one, he doesn't make money off us. He makes it off the deal with the banks, and it doesn't matter which bank he gets paid the same. So he hasn't got an interest of like, well, I'm going to push him to this bank, even though it's a bad deal, just because I get a bigger, bigger cut. So understanding kind of that fiduciary responsibility is a good thing. So just understanding where their agendas and their loyalties lie. Okay. All right. Broker, very, very important. So find one you really, really like. Get them to walk you through the process. Get them to assess your finances, and they'll be able to tell you pretty quickly, oh, you can borrow this much. So you can borrow like six hundred thousand, for example, at a um, deposit of ten percent, or whatever, whatever it is. They'll give you all the different kind of scenarios that you can choose from. And if they make it super complicated and you don't understand, find a different broker. There's heaps of them. Find one that will simplify it for you. Take the time for you to understand. You really, I can't stress this enough. Get a broker that really takes their time explaining these details to you. For me I get really into finance. I study it, I read it before bed. I'm thinking about it when I wake up. Like I love doing that stuff and I still wanted one that simplified this process cuz it's not easy a lot of it, right? Okay. Anyways, broker. So, step 3, right? As you're talking to your broker, they go through all the different options of what you can do. If you borrow a 5% deposit, 10%, 20%, are there any current government schemes they can apply on your behalf? Um, what areas were you thinking of going out? Different strategies you've heard of? Any questions you have, right? And make sure you have questions before you meet with them. Right. And they're gonna say, you know, what's your goals? Like are you trying to buy a eight hundred thousand dollar house or a four bedroom or you know, you want something with a big backyard? And they can help you with all those things and they have access to information that I think is not publicly available. They have like insider not inside insider is the wrong word, but they have information in the industry. For example, like I work at Toyota, so I know what's happening in Toyota. It's public knowledge, I guess, but it's just you know more because you're in that industry. So they have better access to the right information. Maybe that's a better way to put it. And they can make um, good offers to you of like, here's different options you can do. After that, or kind of during that process, kind of step four as part of assessing your financial position, maybe relative to your goals and what you're trying to achieve, they can make recommendations of things you can change, right? So let's say you're going, I want to buy a $800,000 house, but your maximum borrowing capacity is only $600,000. It doesn't mean it's the end of the story. What it means is you have to make some adjustments. Maybe you have to pay off those credit cards. Maybe you have to pay off those personal loans. Maybe you have to be more consistent in your spending. Maybe you should have more savings, you know, whatever it might be, and this is all before even looking for houses. And the reason I do this first is because by doing this first, while you look for houses, you can start making these adjustments. Because most of the times, uh, banks need a long enough history in your bank accounts to see that, okay, there's a consistent trend here, right, of behavior, by spending behavior. So you make those adjustments. Now, let's say you go, all right, um, We can go for a $800,000 loan. You know, we understand the different scenarios that we can apply for. We love our broker. We want him. We want to adopt him or her. You know, I understand my financial. You got all this stuff. Now you're ready to go for pre approval or pre qualification. So what that means, so this is step five now. Pre approval or pre qualification basically means um, from memory is if it's pre qualification it means the broker goes, listen, I've plugged you into all our programs and you're all good to start looking for houses. So it's not an official go from the bank. It's just sort of like your broker saying, listen, your values and your figures are all freaking amazing. Considering all the other loans I've done and yours is even better, like you're more than guaranteed, you're set to get the loan. So you go look for houses. The alternative is they go straight for pre-approval, which is they give it to the bank and the bank goes, hey, we'd like everything we're seeing, you're good for pre-approval, which means um, they've pretty much given you kind of a minor, all right, we're most likely going to give you 800,000 for the loan because everything we're seeing, we're very happy with, right? So it just makes it easier s- such that when you get to the buying a house stage, you already know how much you can Um, leverage i I won't use that word but you already know how much you can get from the banks so if the banks are like listen we're not happy with what you've given us for the pre-approval i know you want 800 but the best we can do is seven all right so here's 700 basically when you go to excuse me i have to clear my throat basically when you go and start looking for houses you're not going to go hey let me put an offer down for 800 because you weren't pre-approved by the bank so just knowing what your upper limit is or your upper your ceiling for how much you can offer is really important so you don't, you know, kind of delay the process. You you know exactly how much you can give. So why would you do pre-pre-approval versus pre-qualification or vice versa? The reason is because I think when you do pre approval there's a time limit. I think it's one, no, I think it's like 3 months where that pre-approval is valid for three months, two months. I don't know. It's a certain period of time. I think maybe three months. And basically what happens is if you don't find a house within those three months, you have to apply for pre-approval again. So what my broker did is, is he said, listen, your figures are really, really good. Just go for pre qual Like I've pre-qualified you guys start looking for houses. And what that means is there's no time limit on pre-qualification. So if we take three months, four months, five months, six months, it doesn't matter because there is no time limit. So it's more of a flexibility thing, but it's completely up to you. I highly recommend going for pre-approval and pre-qualification. Now, here's what happens if you don't do any of this stuff. Let's say you just decide one day, let's go buy a house. I think I have $50,000 in savings. Let's go. So you go for a house, you go for a house inspection. You go, oh, I like this house. I'm going to make an offer. Number one, you don't know how much offer you can actually give. Right? you don't know if the banks are going to approve you, you're suddenly now in a time crunch because now you're trying to speak with banks, you're trying to get your finances sorted, you're trying to convince them that you can pay a lot. You suddenly put yourself in this very stressful position of sorting all this stuff out. Right? Why? I, I don't see the advantage of trying to do it that way if a broker is free. You might as well speak with a broker, get all this stuff sorted Know your ceiling. So when you're out looking at houses, you don't have to think about all that stuff. You can just enjoy the experience. And that's a very, very important thing when it comes to buying houses. This is supposed to be like a wedding. It's like a marriage, like a wedding or your first job or your first car. This is a really, it's supposed to be a very happy occasion. This is a massive milestone in your life. Massive. Why make it a stressful situation if you if you don't have to? So what I recommend is really do the work, you know, find these people, go through the process and just enjoy the experience of looking for houses. That's it, right? Okay. So let's say, all right, you've got pre-approval from the banks. They say you're all good or pre-qualification, pre-qualification from your broker, you're all good, right? Um, in any case, your broker helps you with all of that stuff. Then you, kind of, you get to the next step, next step. So you're not quite ready to buy a house just yet. You're very, very close though. The next step is you want to find a conveyancer. Okay, so a conveyancer is someone who they check the contracts, they make, sh- they do all the registration free uh, fees, the they do do a lot of that kind of legal stuff, right? They are sort of like if you know you're in a court of law, they're like your lawyer. They're there to protect you and check everything. So again, same as the broker, you want to find someone you really really like. A lot of the times, the brokers will recommend the conveyancer if you're. Here's what I don't recommend. If you're looking for a house, and you know, when you're doing a house inspection, there's a real estate agent there who's in charge of selling the house. A lot of the times they'll say, Well, you know, we have a conveyancer we can recommend, or we have a, a pest control, a pest inspection person we know, or we know we have a building. I personally would never ever, 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 ever trust anyone that a real estate agent has offered as a conveyancer or a broker or their own person I would not recommend it because the agent there's a conflict in agendas real estate agents want to sell the house they want to move it as quickly as possible now this person that they've quote unquote recommended are they in that agenda are they just trying to move the house as well so can I trust them personally I don't think so they could be nice people but I can't trust them. I want to have someone who doesn't know these real estate agents, who's on my team, right? And doesn't have any skin in the game that I don't know about. So by picking conveyancer that has nothing to do with the real estate agents, I'm kind of putting a layer of protection in there. Same thing with the broker, right? So what a conveyancer does is, yeah, again, they check the contracts, they Ensure the process is being done. They do all the insurance. There's a lot of stuff you got to do that I'm not gonna go into detail about, but they do a lot of that checking. The mistake, the mistake I did was that when we looked for a house, and then they go, "All right, we want to make an offer. Uh, here's the contract of sale." I was just gonna sign it right away. What I didn't know was that I should before before signing anything, always get your conveyancer to check it just to make sure there's nothing in there that is going to screw you up. And it's a lot of legal speak. So it takes time to read and understand that and you need a professional that knows how to speak that language. So after you get pre-approval, pre-qualification, find a conveyancer and say, hey, listen, this is my situation. I'm ready to start looking for houses. And they go, no worries, nice to meet you. Get in touch with us when you're ready to start the process. And I think in total, like the service... Itself, I think, cost me eight hundred US, uh, eight hundred Australian dollars. It obviously, depends which conveyancer you go to, but you know, give or take something like that. And I think for that much money, even if this one, like the one I had, absolutely amazing. That if she charged me two or three thousand dollars, I would pay it, just because of the amount of legwork, amount of assistance and support that they provided every step of the way it's just absolutely fantastic so again find a good conveyancer that you like okay now you've got all the elements you know your finance you spoke with a broker your broker knows your situation you're pre-approved or you've got pre-qualification you've got a conveyancer now comes time to look for a house yay all right so basically here's where you know just try and enjoy it so get onto realestate.com you know or whatever housing um websites you want to do or auctions or whatever it is you want to do i personally would never do an auction um and the reason is (sighs) i can't remember the reason but i remember starting and i didn't want to do it so maybe i'll talk about that in another episode but i prefer to do like kind of the private sales anyway so when you're looking for a house a house what i recommend you do is you know, first come up with an idea of what kind of house you want. You know, how many bedrooms you want, the areas you want to live in. Um, do you want floorboards? Do you want solar panels? Do you want heating? Do you want a big backyard, small backyard, double garage, single garage, no garage? Well, whatever it is, right? So come up with a list of like, hey, this is the house that I would like. And the reason you kind of want to do that is you also want to set your expectations. So if you say something like, I want a 1,000 square foot, uh, 1,000 square meter House, double story, massive veranda, but I've only got two hundred thousand dollars. Hmm, what can I get? Let me tell you what you're gonna get. Freaking nothing, unless it's the in the middle of the Northern Territory or something, something crazy like that, right? So it's just about understanding. Okay, for the things that I want, how much that costs in the area I'm looking or in the areas I'm looking? What's reasonable? How much play do I have? You know, so if you're going, I've got seven hundred thousand. You know, what can I get for that? right? Now you may need to adjust the kind of houses you're looking for. Maybe you need to give up like, Oh, maybe we can't get four bedroom. Maybe we need to get three. And here's kind of my thing in today's current economic climate, it's getting very, very hard to buy a house. And the reason for that is, you know, housing market has just exploded, you know, part of it due to COVID interest rates, all these kinds of things. So your first house may not be your dream house. and That's okay. The, for me, The main goal of anything when it comes to real estate, more important than finding your dream home on the first go is to just get in the market. Just get in the market because typically if you're like renting, right? I don't want to say dead money because that's not true Um, because renting does have its advantages. But what I will say is that The money you have is not really working for you just yet. When you have a house and you have equity, you don't have to work as hard to come up with savings because the equity is helping you do that a little bit. So by doing that first and just making the priority of getting into the market more important, it makes getting to your dream home, which could be house number two, house number three, whatever it might be, it makes it easier Because in, let's say, two, three, four years time or something like that, your equity would have grown, you know, uh, 150,000, something like that. I don't know. It becomes much easier to get your next place and then your next one and then your next, you know. So dream house on the first go, very difficult unless you get super lucky. Okay. So it's just about being able to adjust those expectations and just ensuring that, okay, my priority, it really is just get in the market because that's your first home is the hardest one. It's the hardest one. When I analyze this mathematically, the effort and time involved in trying to save up for your first one, using pre-tax dollars from your job, is very hard, very hard. When you're getting your second one and you have equity growing at like six and a half percent of your property value every year. So, assume your property value is worth five hundred thousand. In addition to you doing your job and having your savings, you suddenly have an additional, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars in equity from doing nothing except just living in your house. You know, how long would it take you to save thirty thousand dollars from your job? okay so it's sort of like that first home kind of accelerates you into getting your dream home okay so think of it like that so what i'm going to do is i'm actually going to stop this episode right here and we're going to continue on in the next one and in the next one we're going to talk about all right now you've found a home you've got you're in the inspection and what do we do next all right so that's going to be the next episode so let's let's, that's i will see you in that episode bye thanks for watching another episode of brah finance if you want to support the work we're doing you love the things you're hearing from us consider supporting us through patreon at patreon.com forward slash brah b-r-a-h underscore finance by signing up you're going to get access to all sorts of things like spreadsheets and articles and video and training and all sorts of content so again thank you for watching and have a great day